0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Revelation. We head into a few Sundays focusing on Revelation. And Doug will get us started here with the scripture is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 and verses 9 to 18. 1 to 3 and verses 9 to 18 of Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it And take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. And in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in in the suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of, God, of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes "'Were like a blazing fire. "'His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, "'and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. "'In his right hand he held seven stars, "'and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. "'His face was like the sun, "'shining in all its brilliance. "'When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead.' Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades.
1: Good morning. Um, I want to thank the praise team for the songs, the, the energy. Um, that's exciting. Um, to see smiles, raising of hands, praising God. Um, thank you. Um, how many of you like reading novels? Enjoy reading? Okay. How many of you like watching movies? So novel fans, reading, movie watchers. How many of you like to know the ending of the movie prior to reading or watching? Okay, I don't see any, any hands. Oh, there's a couple that kind of sneak up. How many of you like revealing the ending or some details for other people and then get slugged or scolded, right? Um... How about sporting events? Um, Hands of those that have recorded a game or an event with the plans to go back and watch it later. Yeah, if you do that, I've done that too. Now, how many of you try not to know the final result when you do that? All right. Now, the, the Olympics are just finishing. And with the Olympics held halfway around the world, there's a 13-hour difference. And so if it is 3 a.m. here, it's 4 p.m. over there. And so I, I know of a few individuals that woke up early morning. I think there was a 4 a.m. Carly, are you out here? Yeah, you're out here. 4 a.m. to watch a soccer game. I was up late night numerous times as well. So so that time frame makes a difference. Now, that, that, that's a difference though in how you approach because many people don't get up or stay up to watch it live. You wait until the recorded version, which NBC held you know, primetime late night. Well, if you were watching then, there was a possibility that you might be given the final result for an event, and then you can watch it. Um, In our house Dawn and I have watched movies repeated times. So there's a little bit difference in some things. Dawn has watched Pride and Prejudice, I wanna say double digit times, it's a movie. So she knows the plot, she knows the ending. I've watched Lord of the Rings trilogy two or three different times. I know the plot, I know the ending, but it's enjoyable to watch. It's enjoyable to go through that process again. But as far as sporting events are concerned, Dawn and I are different. Dawn does not want to know the results. I like knowing the results. I'm okay with that because then what I will do is I will watch to see how the process played out. What happened? What what was the uh, kind of the details? So I'm okay knowing the final score. I've got interest in in some other things. Um, Horse races. The, the, and I'm not a huge horse race fan, but the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, Belmont Stakes, you know, the Triple Crown, I will go back after the race has been completed, knowing who won, and I have an interest in watching to see where that horse may have come from, on the backstretch. Where were they? Were they buried in the back? You know, back in fifth and sixth place? How did they come through the gaps? So I enjoy watching some of that that process. Um, professional disc golf tournaments happen each weekend basically and on YouTube they will post a a summary of a foursome that goes through well it's a recorded process and so I would know I can know who won the tournament but again it's still a process I enjoy watching to see how did it play out um what were the statistics what are the, you know, how many hits, how many errors in a baseball game? What percentage did the uh, team shoot in a basketball game? Football, how many yards did they gain? Passing, rushing? You know, what, what are the details? So I have an interest in some of that, but many people, what's the final score? That's enough that may be known. They may not even want to or need to watch the game. What was the final score? So that, that varies from person to person. So in a game, there's a difference. In a novel that you read, as you read through, what details do you pay attention to? What details do you kind of keep track of in your mind as you look forward? And if it's a mystery, you know, in that mystery, you're probably trying to keep track of clues and different things moving forward. In life, what details affect you? What details do you pay attention to? And, and even within our, our faith walk, what details are we paying attention to? There may be different clues, different things that, that I find helpful for me that you see other things or you use other means. Now we should all go back and use the Bible, using God, but, but there may be short, quick, Things that happen that mean more to me than mean more to you, and and vice versa. So Wes referred to Revelation being the next uh, focus of our sermon and the gospel project. And as Wes read Revelation, and, and even if you would read Daniel, one might anticipate that the sermons are all going to be about the end times. And how and when is Jesus going to be returning to earth? And that's not exactly what I'm going to be doing. And, and I'm not certain exactly what some of the references will be coming forward. But I, I'm not a scholar on end times. And if you look forward to some of our Sunday school lessons, it's not necessarily based on end times. Um, there's many people smarter than I. And so I will leave you to do some studying along those lines if if you're interested. But I, I do want to give just a quick summary of four schools of thought for the interpretation of Revelation. So just very quickly, there is what's called a preterist approach, and that would be a view that events that are described in Revelation already happened within John's time to the early church. There's a historicist approach which views that most of the prophecies described have already happened in history and that the end of time is near. Idealist approach is a view that John's descriptions are not necessarily specific events, but are more symbolic of ethical and spiritual truth that's pervasive and flows through the Bible. And then there's a futurist approach that the view of events that are described are both current and or possibly in the near future going to be happening, and again, the end is close. So those are four main directions, and there's plenty of books, plenty of articles that have been written over the years with perspectives on how to interpret along those lines. Uh, a number of years ago, well, it, it may be 20, 25 years ago, Dawn and I were part of a small group, <coughs> excuse me, that um, studied a book called Triumph of the Lamb by Ted Grimsrud and so, so we went chapter by st- chapter studying what Revelation said and what it meant. Uh, it was interesting, it was challenging, it, it was confusing all at the same time and, and I actually plan on reading just a short excerpt from that a little bit later, now especially in the later chapters as a group with, with so many things being referred to we started to kind of come back to one common conclusion one common phrase and that was just a two word comment God wins with all the details that you could interpret and try to figure out God wins and, and we 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 didn't just look at that and say, well, God wins, and then move on, and and it wasn't important. It it was significant. As we were looking at God wins, it's a scenario where we really need to claim God wins and claim it boldly and and then, then live that out. So so I'm going to come back to that phrase a couple different times, but I want us us to say that together right now, just that two-word phrase, God wins. That's the ending. Okay? That's the ending. Now, one of the common themes that has occurred through the Gospel Project, and and they've said it from the very beginning, is that all of Scripture points to Jesus. that's, That's the target of almost every one of the Sunday school lessons, they point toward Jesus. And in the King James Version of Hebrews 12.2, Jesus is called the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, The NIV calls him the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. English Standard Version calls him the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And the New Living Translation calls him the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. As, as Wes read, verse 17 says, He is the first and the last. And verse 8 of that same chapter, God tells John to write, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That, that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. And so there, there's awesome and exciting things that are usually celebrated in, in, our, in our world, in our lifestyle. When a baseball player hits a home run, there can be fireworks that get shot off from the scoreboard. Or if they don't have fireworks, at least the, the scoreboard goes crazy with all the lights and everything celebrating that home run. The Olympians, who win the medals, they've got something around their neck. They get to stand for the national anthem, and there is attention drawn to their individuals, to their country. Um, they're, They're celebrating. Commentators will be talking about how well they did. They'll be breaking down the details. Their talents are lauded and applauded. They're put on a pedestal. And some of the plays, some of the things that are executed, some of the things that happen, you hear the announcers that may say, oh my, did you just see that? That was incredible. We look and we recognize things that are awesome, things that are glorious. We identify that in our world. We even want to watch the replay. We want to relive the event. Might even be able to send a YouTube link to a friend saying, hey, you've got to watch this. You've got to see this. So here's, here's my main focus for today. If I get something from a friend that says, you have to see this, I usually have two questions that come to my mind. Okay, what, what is it that I'm going to be seeing? And then the second question is, why do I need to see it? What, what, what's it going to mean for me? So just to answer those two and then then go into a little bit more, the answer to what am I supposed to see with these verses is to see Jesus Christ in all his glory. Verse 1 said, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the answer to why, why am I supposed to see this? Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. So those are the two questions I want to just take a look at. So first of all, what am I supposed to see? We're supposed to see Jesus Christ in all his glory. And I want to look at verses 12 through 16 which contain nine observations. So not a three-point sermon here, right? Nine observations. Things, But each one pretty quickly here. The descriptions that are given of those nine show the glory of Jesus Christ. And I want you to catch and keep in mind, they show who he was, who he is, and who he will continue to be. So first of all, the, the robe and the golden sash. That would be an indication of a person with great dignity and authority. A high priest. And for the Israelites, the high priest was the supreme leader, uh, the person to discern the will of God, overseeing everything. And so, in that symbolism, in, in that, what, what John saw, Jesus is our high priest, our ultimate authority standing with God. Uh, the second symbol. He was standing among seven golden lampstands. Now, one duty of the priest was to tend to the golden lampstand in the tabernacle. The high priest was supposed to take care of that, keep it lit, keep it fired. And so Jesus is standing in the midst of his church. Not not afar. He's in the midst of those lampstands. Loving, caring, nurturing, teaching, leading. He's in our midst. Uh, The third, the hair that was white as wool and snow. White hair would signify great wisdom and timelessness. Always was, always is, always will be. And that phrase, white as snow, is a vision of purity Um, Isaiah 1.18 refers to our sins being as white as snow, being cleansed. Jesus is wise. Jesus is pure. The fourth one, eyes like blazing fire. That would be an example of a searching, a penetrating judgment for truth. Seeing everything, knowing everything. And so Jesus is all-knowing, able to see all. The fifth, feet like bronze glowing in the furnace. This would be an example of someone who's been tested and refined to purity. Uh, Adam Clark, a biblical scholar, said, bronze is an emblem of stability and permanence, considered the most durable of all metallic substances or compounds. Jesus endured the pain of the cross, the pain of of, uh, crucifixion, Sacrificing his, blood, his uh, blood and body for this world. Jesus is a lasting and a powerful force to be worshiped and praised. Sixth, voice like a sound of rushing waters. Have, have you been to Niagara Falls? Anybody been there? Do you hear it before you see it? Yeah. You hear that water. You hear the force of the water. It, it cannot be denied. Um, Dawn and I visited there a few years ago. The sound fills the air. The word of Jesus is one that is not to be ignored, and it's not going to be reduced. It's there. Before you even see it, it's there. It fills The seven stars in his right hand, going along with the seven lampstands. The number seven represents perfection and completeness. All of God's churches, all of God's children are securely held in his hand. I have to think about the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole church in his hands. He's present, he's there. He's got us in his hands. The sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth. There's two words for swords that that I've found in the Greek. The first one is the Greek word makaira, which refers to a small tactical sword with a one-sided blade. This word right here, the double-edged sword, is the word romphia. It's a heavy sword used to kill and destroy, double-sided, double-edged. It cuts to the bone. Coming out of his mouth, that's the word of God. So as as we seek God's will, this is where we go. And the word of God, with this being double-edged, it's, if I'm looking for and preaching truth, and I've, I've made this comment before from up here, many times when I'm preaching, I'm preaching myself. It's double-edged. It is sharp. It is truth for whoever is hearing it and for whoever is saying it and passing it along. It is truth. And finally, the last part here, face shining like the sun. Um, again, Clark is quoted as saying this. His face was like the disk of the sun on the brightest summer's day when there were no clouds to abate the splendor of his rays. We, we don't look up at the sun. It hurts, but we feel the effects. We feel the glory. And here's where I want to read a, a summary from Grimsred, uh Grimsred's book, Triumph of the Lamb, he refers to a bit of this with verses 12 through 16. The images are impressionistic, not precise. They show things like Jesus' closeness to the churches, dignity, purity, power, and his identification with the discerning word. The seven golden lampstands are seen as the seven churches, meaning the entire church. It is significant that the first statement that John makes about the Heavenly Father is that he saw him among the lamps. The first characteristic of Christ revealed to John in the vision is that Christ is present among the earthly congregations of Christ's people. He's here among us. He he was back then in John's age. He's here now today. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, And find grace to help us in our time of need. We serve a wonderful and a powerful Savior who is present in our lives. He's powerful and mighty and approachable and loving. So, as, as we, we envision all of this, I mean, it's, that's a lot to take in. And we reflect on the characteristics and what, what they mean. Is it a scary sight or is it awe-inspiring? How do we approach it? What do we see? Does recognizing Jesus Christ in all of that glory, in all his loving, caring, powerful character, does that cause us to have a temptation to send off something in a text or in YouTube saying, you've got to see this. The Enduring Word is a website that I I use frequently for some reference and some comparisons. And in that, uh, David Guzik says this about this passage in Revelation He said, Everything in this vision speaks of strength, majesty, authority, and righteousness. Everything about that is one where if we don't fully understand it, we can look at this and say, You know what? God wins. There's a mighty power, an inviting power, that is there. God wins. So then the second question I have, what why? Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to see this? What do I do with this? And and again, the answer is to be blessed, but also to bless others. Verse 17, John tells of his initial response to seeing this. I fell at his feet as though dead. I mean, it was an overpowering view for John. But then God placed a hand on his shoulder and said, do not be afraid. It's as if right then God was saying to John, get up and keep writing. I've got more for you to see. I've got more for you to, to write. I've got more to say. How do we celebrate? And Don and can testify that for me, I am a very reserved individual when I watch sporting events, whether it's live or on TV. Except for one team. University of Michigan sports teams. Now I don't know and I don't keep up with all of the recruits and all the details that I know a few other members in our church do. So it's nice to hear information from them at times. But if you're wearing the maize and blue, I'm cheering for you. I don't do that for the Lions, maybe rightfully so, for the Tigers right now, for the Pistons, for the Red Wings. But if it's Michigan football, Michigan basketball, even Michigan hockey and baseball, which a couple of years ago made the final, final, well, baseball made the final tournament or the final uh, yeah, three-game series, hockey made the final for the Frozen Four. If those teams are playing, I'm all in. And those teams winning or scoring a touchdown, I will actually yell. I mean, for, for some of the other teams, I don't yell. Even for Northwood, where I coached for you know, multiple years, I don't necessarily yell a whole lot. Now at times. (laughs) But for whatever reason, I'm all in with Michigan. I will stand up and go double fist pump. Yes! Okay, do I do that with what I've just read or we've just read about the glory of Jesus Christ? Am I all in then? To the point where I can't hold back my excitement the glory of Jesus Christ is something someone to be celebrated not just from 9 to 1130 on a Sunday morning every day of the week when I wake up when I go to bed and, and all the times in between so how do we show that how do we show that excitement how do we celebrate those characteristics? Wes has fireworks at his house. Not all of us have fireworks. Do we, do we shoot off fireworks? Do we applaud? And, and as we sang today, the applause, that's joy being expressed. Do we say amen? Do we say God wins? Maybe it's just a little fist pump through the day. God wins. Do we recognize that and claim that? Or do I ponder and I bask in his presence quietly? There's a time for that as well. Do I praise him and serve him with my entire being? As I talk with somebody, am I doing that in the spirit of celebrating Jesus Christ? Christ and his power? Or do I dance like David? Shout and sing. I mean, all of the different responses at appropriate times are what we need to do. And if you're not used to dancing, maybe you need to dance. If you need to ponder and think, maybe you need to ponder and think. All of those are ways where Jesus Christ becomes real. You claim the power You claim the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, our high school youth bounced with joy up front here on the stage. We clapped our hands with them. A couple of songs we sang today, there was clapping hands. Let's do that more. Shouts of amen. Shouts of God wins. Um, As kids, we all learned the song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Don't keep it there. That's there. It's more than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy, even on bad days, is something deep that is a solid foundation. But do others see that joy? Do others see us smile? So, so when we sing... And I sit up front, so I don't turn around to see who's singing, who's raising their hands. But let's let that flow. David danced. Second uh, Samuel 6:14 6, through 16. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of triumph. That's joy. Um, I even look, I think our Sunday school involvement, are we going into our Sunday school time engaged and excited to take part in discussion? That's a joy. Now, I'm not anticipating walking down and seeing anybody dancing in the middle of Sunday school class. But if you're engaged and you're listening and you're sharing isn't that the equivalent of dancing in that situation and being connected? Our faith is one that's to be active, talking about it, fellowshipping with others, Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, small group session, corporate prayer times on the Thursdays. We're not called to be spectators. We're called to interact. Called to recognize the glory of God, celebrate the glory of a risen Christ, and then spread that, share that. Three weeks ago, I encouraged you in uh, in my sermon to reach beyond our normal walls. And I, I heard back from quite a few of you that you did that. And that was exciting to hear. There's a faithfulness of expanding our walls that I I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of. So here's my reminder. Do it again. Do it next month. Do it next week. Do it again. Expand your walls, every opportunity you have, and then look for those opportunities over and over and over again. Share the joy that Christ has given you we're not made for isolation. We're made for interaction, for fellowship, for praise. And the book of Revelation is about God revealing Jesus Christ to us through John's writing. And then we're called to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. So just real quick, how, how do I celebrate Jesus Christ? I say the, these three things. Know who he is. His majesty, his power, his faithfulness, his love. Celebrating that God wins. All the descriptions that were given in 12 through 16. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Know that. Read that. Claim that. And then the two commandments that you know, Jesus was asked. Lord, what, what are the greatest commandments? And God said, or Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength which for me was me saying sacrifice Doug Gerber's will to do what Doug Gerber wants to do and love the Lord, open my heart to what he is asking me to see and to do on a daily basis. Engage this world, but sacrifice myself as Christ does and did for us. And then the third, love your neighbor as yourself. Go beyond our walls. Show that love and spread that love. And celebrate that there is a heaven that we get to be part of someday. But don't wait for that day to share that love and celebrate, celebrate now claim that power invite the team to come forward we're, we're, we're going to sing a closing song it says sing the wondrous love of jesus uh the, the old title was uh when we all get to heaven this song was written by eliza Edmonds hewitt back in 18 uh, yeah back in the late 1800s and the inspiration for this song is from first thessalonians 417 which says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, verses one and four refer to the beauty and glory of heaven when Jesus returns. But I want you to note verses two and three challenge us to walk in faith, trusting and serving God today and every day. So as, as we sing through, take those words claiming that God wins, and then we're called to go out and celebrate that with joy.